What's going on, everybody? How you guys doing? As Parker said, my name's Matt, and uh, I have the privilege of being on staff here at Grace. I get to work on Ben's team, uh, serving the middle schoolers. Um, and I'm really excited to be here today. Um, actually, I was thinking about it. You know what I'm most excited about? I'm excited most for those of you who are here this morning because you made a resolution like almost exactly 12 months ago and you decided 2018 was going to be the year that you gave church one more try and you waited as long as you could, but you made it. Check that box. Congratulations. I am excited for you. I hope you have a great experience. I hope you feel welcome and I hope you'll come back. Okay, this morning I want to get us started with the story. The hero of this story is going to kind of inform what will be the bottom line for the message. Uh, I've got to take you back a little bit. I've got to take you back about 15 years. Summer, 2004. Robin and I are newly engaged. I had been living in Central Oregon for about four months. In a small town nestled in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. Anybody know the Cascade Mountains? Got some Central Oregonians up in here. You know what I'm talking about. It's beautiful. So I've been out there about four months, and Robin has finally arrived, having moved from Pittsburgh, so that we could be near each other for the remainder of our engagement. And I was really excited to show her how, in those four months, I had become incredibly naturey and wildernessy and manly. This was her first day there. I was fired up. I had a big plan. This has to be great. She's moving out to Central Oregon. I'm not sure how she really feels about moving to Central Oregon from Pittsburgh. She's probably a little scared, like, okay, this, we've got to get started off on the right foot. So I decide I'm going to take her, I'm going to take her to the top of a mountain. Like she's just going to get her experience like right now. She's going to see how beautiful it is. We're going, we're going to have the adventure. It's going to be amazing. And she's going to fall in love with Central Oregon on day one. So pick her up from the airport, um, stop off at where she was staying. And then we head out to the mountains. Okay. We got to the mountains about 3 p.m. And we park on the side of Cascade Lakes Highway right next to a stream um, that is actually a part of this story. And, um, and that's when Robin notices, um, for the first time, what she considered to be a, an issue. Um, she said, how about an issue I just noticed for the first time? Let me get centered. Back focus. She realized there, there was no trail. She says... Matt, I don't see a trail. I said, I, I doubled down on my enthusiasm. I said, that's the best part. I said, we're about to go up to the top of Devil's Peak. There is no trail, which would, it's what makes this so special. There's no trail, so not many people get to experience. You are not only going to get to the top of a mountain, but you're going to get to the top of a mountain that not very many people get to see. So uh, I doubled down on my enthusiasm, apparently won over. I'm still amazed to this day that she went along with it. Uh, but we, we started out and we started hiking up Devil's Peak. Devil's Peak is amazing. When you get to the top, to the south, you've got Mount Bachelor. 
in all its glory. To the north, you've got Three Sisters Mountains and the valleys leading up, and it's incredible. I couldn't wait. I said, listen, it's going to be about a two-hour hike. Okay, it'll be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. We're going to have some fun. We'll hang out at the top for a few minutes, and then we'll hustle back down, go into town. I've got a fancy dinner planned for you. It's going to be the best day of your life, right? Okay, so she's on board. The enthusiasm wins over. We're doing it. We take off. For about the first half mile, we follow that little stream. But then after about a half mile, the stream meanders off around the side of Devil's Peak. And we decide to strike out on our own and go, I decide, to be fair to Robin, in my foolishness, to go straight up Devil's Peak. We wanted to get to the top as quickly as possible. And if my memory serves me correctly, we actually really enjoyed the hike up. I don't know if Robin would disagree, but I mean, it was fun. Like we were picking our way. There wasn't really a trail, but it was adventure It was difficult. We were getting a workout, uh, all those kinds of things. You know, we were getting caught in bushes and maybe I'm not remembering how much we enjoyed it correctly. <laughs> but we made it to the top. Thank you very much. And it was beautiful. And for a few minutes, I was actually feeling pretty good with myself. Fiance's moved out here. I just impressed her with some serious mountain navigation. She seems to be really enjoying what she's seeing, commenting on the amazing views. And we realize that we're about to get the chance to see the sunset from Devil's Peak. Oh yeah, we've got some smart people in here. Some experienced hikers in here. And let me repeat. And then we realized we were about to see the sunset. (laughs) And this was not good. Because we were in unfamiliar territory. We did not have a trail. We did not have flashlights. And so... Both of our heart rates started to increase, and we decided that we needed to start booking it down this peak. Okay, so we do that, and we start picking our way down, and actually, for a while, we feel like maybe we dodged a bullet because we made it a considerable way back down the peak, and there was still a little bit of light. So we took a deep breath, and then, like, kid you not, it was like the blink of an eye. It went from, I think we might be okay, There's still a little bit of light too. It was pitch black and we couldn't see anything and we didn't know where we were. Just like that. And before you know it, what had turned into, it was going to be Robin's first day in Central Oregon. It was going to be amazing. Devil's Peak, dinner afterwards. She's crying. I'm panicked. She's like hugging tightly to my arm. We really, truly feel like we are lost in a wilderness And we're like trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, we could kind of feel our way downhill, but on Devil's Peak, like downhill could be west for like 500 yards and then it could be south for a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're miles from where you thought you were and you're lost. And that does not feel good because when it gets dark, you start to hear everything. You start to heal all sorts of animals. When it gets dark, every single shadow looks like it's about to attack you. Okay, and this was absolutely terrifying. And then we had a moment. And this is actually incredibly amazing. And the story turns for better. It turns, turns out all right. But we had stopped just to gather ourselves. In the midst of our panic, we're like, we need, to, we need to stop and figure this out. Actually, it was more like, Matt, stop now. We're not moving until you figure this out. <laughs> but we stop and we gather ourselves. And at the same time, we both hear the same thing. 
the bubbling stream. Anybody predict that? Yeah, yeah, you know. And it was amazing, the sense of peace that rushed into our souls in that moment and how quickly we go from feeling disoriented and panicked and terrified and lost to feeling like, okay, we can navigate this. Okay, we've got a chance. Okay, we actually have some sense of where we're going. So the hero of the story is that stream. Our saving grace was that stream. Why? It was because it was a fixed point of reference that we could use to navigate for our journey. It was a fixed point of reference that we could use to navigate our journey. With 2019 right around the corner, I have been reflecting a lot on this. Particularly, how do I go through 2019, which is guaranteed to be a wilderness all of its own, not like that hike? How do I go through it? Not like that hike. Terrified, disoriented, feeling like I'm wandering with no real sense of direction to complete my journey. How do I navigate this wilderness well? So I'm stuck on this, and I've been stuck on this for a while now. It's a prayer by an early church leader named Paul. Uh, He's famous for being a a prolific church planner, carrying the message of Christ, initiating the mission of Christ. And he had started a church in Philippi, and they were actually struggling with how to navigate their own unique wilderness. And so he had a prayer for them, and I'm claiming it for us. And I'm saying right now, this, I hope this is something you, you take and you say, look, let this be kind of a theme for 2019. Let this be something that that guides my year. Because I'm praying it for us. He said this. He said, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And I love this. Because... What Paul is saying essentially is this. You want to be able to discern what is best? You want to be able to navigate a wilderness well. You want to be able to navigate a wilderness with the sense that you are not wandering, but there is a direction and you are going somewhere. You need one thing. You need love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight. And that seems kind of funny, but that's what we want to explore this morning. He basically says, love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight needs to be your fixed point of reference for navigating the wilderness of 2019. This needs to be your stream in the dark. Because if it is, you will navigate life well. You will have the distinct sense that you are not merely wandering, but you are on a journey headed somewhere. So question, what does it mean to have love that's abounding in knowledge? I think most simply it means this. It means that your constant revisiting of what love is, what love actually is, what love really is, what love truly is, like real love, not phony love, like your constant revisiting of what love is by experience leads to love becoming a fixed point of reference for you. Paul says you need to have love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight. What does it mean to have love? Love that's abounding in depth of insight. Most simply, it means that I'm growing in my ability to connect what love is 
to a bigger context. I'm growing in my understanding of what this amazing thing of love is. What does that have to do with bigger things? What does it have to do with who God is? And what does it have to do with why I'm alive? So here it is in a nutshell. If you're going to take away anything from this morning, here's what I want you to remember. When I connect what love is to who God is, and when I connect what love is to who God is, and then I am able to connect that to why I am alive, I begin to develop a map, an incredible map with fixed points of reference that enable me to navigate this wilderness of life. Because these things are all things that you can count on to not change. You think about having a fixed point of reference. The fa- it means your point of reference, what you use to navigate, it doesn't change. Because if it changes, you're, you're just as lost. Look, I have, I have an uncle that has a house in Lake Tahoe. And when we lived on the West Coast, a couple times a year, we would go visit it. And I would always know how to get to his house. He lives up in the mountains and a couple, couple you know, back roads. And I knew that the one turn I could not miss was a turn. And my point of reference was this enormous totem pole at the bottom of the hill. And I knew when I saw the totem pole, that was my point of reference. I could turn on that road and I would find my way to his house. The last time we went to his house, guess what was gone? The totem pole was gone. Guess how long I drove around aimlessly wandering, couldn't find my way. My point of reference had changed and I was in trouble. Look, you got to think about what, what is it in life that you can count on to be the same today, tomorrow, next year, the year after, till the day you die, what can be the same? Those are fixed points of reference. What can you count on? And you think about life and the shifting landscapes of our culture and the shifting landscapes of the inside of me. And I'm like, I, I don't think there are too many. There aren't too many fixed points of reference that I can count on to navigate through life. But here's what we're talking about this morning. What love is, it's not gonna change. Who God is, it's not gonna change. Why I'm alive, not gonna change. These are things you can count on. And when you start to gain insight into how they're all connected, man, okay, now I'm gaining a vision for how to go through this wilderness. Confident that I'm not just wandering. So for the rest of our time together, I'd just like to walk through some notes from the Bible that give us a way to connect what love is to who God is to why I'm alive. I'm going to be honest. I think it's a lot to think about. The the rest of the message this morning is a little heavy, a little heady. Um, But stick with me as much as you can, because I think at the very least, there's going to be a lot to chew on. There's going to be a lot to go home and wonder about. And over the course of time, try to make sense of. So let's start with what love is. I'll give you two definitions. Uh, One, a very famous definition of love from scripture that I think is beautiful. And look, even if it's your first time at church, you've probably heard it before. If you've ever been to a wedding, it's read at most weddings. And then uh, I want to think about it for a little bit and then share something with you that I read recently, a different definition of love that changed the way I thought about that first definition of love in a really cool way. So Actually, let's have some fun with it. A little trivia. This definition of love from scripture. Some of you have been around church a while, so you've heard it lots, lots. Some of you haven't been around church a while, but you've at least been to weddings, so you've probably heard this. Hint, it starts with love is patient, and then it goes on from there. Here's a question. Uh, The list of attributes attached to what love is, how many are there? This is a trivia question, okay? 
I'm going to let you shout out some guesses. I got some prizes I'm going to toss out to you. Okay, think about it. Okay, don't say it out loud because you're going to give away answers. Love is patient. Love is no. You're saying it out loud. You're giving away answers. Just, just, just quietly to yourself. How many are there? How many attributes? How many attributes of love? What do you got? What do you got? Five. Five. Good guess. Twelve. Seven. Eleven. Eight. Sixteen. Somebody in the first service said infinity. And I just encourage him to n- never play prices right. Who said 12? Who said 12? Who said 12? That's as close as I heard. Who gave an answer slightly higher than 12 that's a little closer to me that can catch a treat? Oh, 14. That's pretty close. Oh, yeah. I hope you like yellow. Yeah, 13. Very good. Thank you for playing along. Uh, the answer is 14. 14. Okay. 14 qualifiers. And I'm going to read them. And you may have heard this over and over and over again. Challenge, challenge this morning. Hear it for the very first time. Listen carefully. Listen intently. When I read this, I feel like every single time it's like there's a mirror being held up in front of me. And I see myself in it. And I see, I see who I am when I read this scripture particularly the shortcomings. Because this definition of love is so lofty. It's so beautiful. It's so glorious. It's like, okay, let's see how I match up. I'm going to read it slow, FYI. Don't get nervous. I haven't lost my place. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. always hopes, always perseveres. Don't respond out loud, but I wonder how many of us sensed that one or more portions of that was speaking directly to our hearts. And as we think about our relationships and we think about the love that we share, where might we work next? So I love this definition because it gives such clear direction for what love is and what love does. But at the same time, I struggle with this definition because it's overwhelming and really hard to remember. It's like, I can't do it all. 
So I want to share with you something I read recently that really helped me see this definition of love in a new way because it was like it tied all 14 attributes of love together for me. It was like a synthesis and a succinct way to think about all of these things. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Traveled, defines love as this. The extending of oneself for the spiritual growth of another. Think about that. I think that's a really cool definition. Let me read it again. Love is the extending of oneself for the spiritual growth of another. Why extending of oneself? Well, because there's got to be cost. Because if it's only comfortable and it's only convenient, it might be nice, but it's not love. It's something else. Love is the extending of oneself for the spiritual growth of another. Why for the spiritual growth of another? Because it's for the growth of the part of a person that all other parts of their life flow out of. To quote scripture, but really to convey a very practical reality. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit his soul? This idea that if the spirit is not growing, if the, fear, if the spirit is struggling, if the spirit is unhealthy, what else matters? So we think about this famous, amazing, powerful definition of love from scripture. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not vote. It does not boast. 14 self-sacrificing attributes. And then we think about this succinct definition of love to extend oneself for the spiritual growth of another. And I start to make sense of something deeper. And when I combine these definitions and I start to process it together, I start to realize that I'm approaching what maybe Paul would describe as a love abounding in knowledge. Because isn't this biblical list of attributes, love, kindness, does not envy, isn't it simply a list of 14 ways to extend yourself so that somebody else can grow spiritually? I mean, think about it. Think about every single one of these things. And we'll start with the first one. Love is patient. Okay, we're not going to do all of them because we don't have time. But love is patient. When I'm patient with someone, I'm extending myself by setting my timeline aside and putting my needs on hold in order to give that person time to grow. You think about the opposite. Think about being impatient, how unloving that can be. Being impatient is, I want you to change now. I need you to change now. I'm not interested in your actual growth. I'm not, I'm not interested in maybe what's deeper and what needs to change. I just want your behavior to change. Change now. I'm being impatient with you. Does someone actually grow spiritually because of enforced behavior change? Is it loving to require that? Years and years of church history will tell us no. In fact, the church is known throughout history to be at its worst when it focuses on just having people change behavior. But at its best, when it is lovingly patient and allows folks the time and space to grow. So we've got to move on from this. But in thinking 
about what it means to live with the distinct sense that you're not merely wandering, that you have maybe a fixed point of reference that you can use to navigate a wilderness, that you're on a journey headed somewhere. What would it, what would it mean to ask this question regularly throughout the course of 2019? How am I extending myself for the spiritual growth of others? Doesn't the answer to that question give you good information about where you might need to go? How am I extending myself for the spiritual growth of others? Remember, Paul said, listen, you want to discern well? You want to navigate well? You need one thing. You need love abounding in knowledge. And you need love abounding in depth of insight. So we don't want to stop there because Paul's message to the Philippians was just that. You need love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight, which means you need to begin connecting what love is to who God is. And you need to be, and you need to be connecting who God is to why you're alive. Because God is love, according to scripture. God has proven himself to be one who has extended himself for our spiritual benefit. Here's something we forget when we think about who God is. When we think about the nature of God, we forget that God has made himself known to us through Jesus as being a community of persons that has existed perfectly for all time. And Jesus was adamant about being known by us in this way. He was adamant about being known by us as who he is in relationship to the other members of the God community he has come from. Over and over and over again, here's Jesus. Jesus says, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Again, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Again, Jesus says, I'm gonna be going, but we're gonna be sending the Spirit. I'm going to be going, but we're going to be sending you a helper that's even better. And Jesus is saying, listen, I do not exist in a vacuum. I am not a standalone being. I actually am God, but you need to understand God better because God is a community of three. And we have existed together for all of time. This is the Christian understanding of God as revealed through Jesus and how Jesus taught us. And this is so important. And it's so interesting because... Considering the nature of God, and we listen to Jesus start to teach us about what life is all about. And we think about Jesus um, revealing himself to be a member of an eternal God community of three persons. Well, what does that mean? It means that embedded in the very nature of God is relationships. And it's so fascinating. When Jesus talks about what it means to be alive, when Jesus talks about what life really is, when he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, and when he answered questions about it, he says, here's what life is. Life's about being in relationship with God and about being in relationship with other people. Loving God and loving others. People ask him, how do you sum it up, Jesus? What are the most important commands? He said, this is what life is all about. Love God, love others. But so listen, the big goal is we connect what love is to who God is. And so I want to I give you an incredibly clear picture of who God is. So I've got some volunteers. They're, they're willing to come up on stage and have a little demonstration. Let's give them a little love. Okay, there's a few folks that, uh, that get to work, that I get to work with when we, when we serve the middle schoolers here at Grace, okay? 
And they're going to come up. They're going to bring some toys. We're going to have a little bit of fun with this, okay? And hopefully this is helpful. <laughs> um, but so let me introduce you to God, okay? Oh, that's right. Okay. So, and I'll admit, this might be a little bit reorienti- reorienting for some of us because our concept of God is just like a singular being. And so you look at this and I say, okay, let me choose you God. Okay, which one is God? Okay. Is it going to be the one with, the, with the, the most beautiful hair? Is that who I should think God is? Is it going to be the one with the biggest muscles? Is that who he's going to introduce as God to us? Is it going to be the one who seems to be the most agile and sprightly? <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Make it fun. But this is really important because it challenges our concept of God and maybe one that has been falsely ingrained. And it's so important to understand God, not as a singular being who has existed in a vacuum standalone, but God is a community of three that has existed perfectly in relationship to each other for all of time. And in fact, let's get God moving. They knew that I was going to do this, okay? And, you know, Will, he's going to get a little weird with it. You know, I don't know why he thinks God is weird. But so we send God in motion because this is who we understand God to be. We understand God to be a community in... Wow. It's choreographed. This gets better every time. Okay. But, okay, scholars actually talk about God this way because they talk about the... Uh, they call it the Latin word perichoresis. It's the dance of God. It's, it's, the, it's the moving around of each other that God has done for all of time. But let me, let me try to be clear about why this is important because we think about a community of people who have existed perfectly together in relationship for all of eternity. Think about, juxtapose that with us as, as humans. And, and we're fallen and we, we're imperfect and we struggle. And think about how well we do in community for how long, okay? And our struggle with being in community and our insane ability to find new ways for communities to become divided, right? And so if there's a community that has existed perfectly for all time, we should pay attention to it. We should try to learn from it and we should explore it. We should say, what's the secret? What's going on here? Like, what's the nature? Because it's something I need. Whatever's going on here that has enabled them to be in community for so long together perfectly, I need it. It's going to matter to me. Talk about in the first service, it was crazy. It came to my mind. I think about, I think about uh, MTV's show, The Real World, back in the 90s and the 2000s. You think about a community that has existed perfectly for all of time versus uh, communities of humanity that look out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real, right? Our communities collapse very quickly. Okay, so um, actually, let's bust out the toy. I think it's perfect timing. Um, oh, yeah, I need the train. I really hope this makes sense. It makes sense to me, so we'll have a little fun with it and, and maybe it works. But um, let's, make it, let's make it really simple. When the train goes around the tracks, the relationship is, is healthy. The relationship is strong. The community is intact. There's unity. It's all good. There's no division, okay? We're happy when the train goes around the tracks, okay? And so we think about God who has existed in a community of three persons for all of time, the train going around the tracks. Okay, now let me step out of here and say, let's just look at this and let's just imagine that the tracks represent for us something about the very nature of God, okay? And the tracks... tell us something about who each person in the community of God is. And what do you notice about the tracks? 
What do you notice about the tracks in terms of how they relate to each other so that the train can go around the tracks and the community can exist perfectly? Look, each set of tracks is curved outwardly toward the others. And this is who we know God to be. Scripture tells us that God is love. Scripture tells us that that God, each person of the Godhead has existed in this community with this insane ability to not require anything more for themselves than the others have. Jesus says, no, I'm not better than the Father. The Father says, no, it's, it's not about me. The Spirit says, I'm just part of the community, right? We're all together. And this community exists in a mutually self-sacrificing, others-focused adoration of each other. And because of their nature, because of their outward curving toward each other, the community stays intact, intact and the train can go around the tracks. Now, here's what's even cooler, okay? God is love. Love is to extend yourself for the spiritual benefit of another. God decides, hey, what we have enjoyed for all of time, we actually want to grow this. The community that we have enjoyed with each other for eternity, we want to grow it. And we want others to experience it because it's good and it's amazing. And so this is the Christian concept of humanity. But God says, look, let us make man in our own image. And when God says, let us make man in our own image, he says, hey, we're going to give you a nature. And your nature is going to be outwardly curved toward the other persons in the community perfectly so that you can engage our community and you can be in loving relationship with us. And the community of God grows. And we understand from scripture, Jesus saying that we are alive to be in relationship with God, to know God and be known by God, to love God and be loved by God. Now, what is required? A nature that is outwardly curved so that we can engage in community. Now, excuse me. Love you guys. You guys are great. You got to drill down. Um, as we know, things didn't work out so well. And the story that has been passed down and the story that has been confirmed or affirmed by Jesus. And listen, we just, you know, we give a lot of weight to what Jesus said because, because if you can predict your own death and your resurrection and then actually pull it off, we need to listen to what you got to say. So Jesus talks about this and he says, listen, the story that's been affirmed by me is um, while mankind was created to engage our relationship and enjoy what we have enjoyed for all of time, what actually happened was mankind decided that they were, they were going to opt for something different. And mankind said, I'm, in a sense, and this is, this is like violent language the scripture uses, but maybe you can, we can make it our own. Um, mankind decided that we would, in fact, rebel against this. That I'm actually going to opt for an existence which the train, instead of going around the tracks of a community, the train can just go around me, right? I just want to make this about me. The train can go around me, thank you very much. Now, what's the impact of that on community? And so we think about the nature of God being a community of persons which each person is perfectly outwardly curved toward the others. And that's why relationships work. And the human nature is one that says, no, actually, it's, this nature is selfless. This nature is selfish. The orientation is to the self, to the individual. 
Now think about what happens. Okay, I want to engage the community of God, but I have a disposition that is inwardly curved. I have a nature that is curved around the self. And how does that work? What happens when the train goes around the track and it doesn't work? The train falls off the tracks. People die when the train falls off the tracks. Actually, I kind of made that as a joke. It's not funny. People die when the train falls. But it's actually how the Bible talks about life and death. The Bible talks about life as being uh, engaged with God in community with an outwardly curved nature as we were intended. This is life. And when I'm separated from community because of an inwardly curved disposition, this you, mankind, you're going to be inwardly turned. There you go. You're with me. Okay. Yep. The relationship fails. And now, look, I'm unable to engage the community of God. I can't. And this is not like I'm a bad person. It just doesn't work. It's not like, oh, you're terrible. It's just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work to be inwardly curved and engage a community that requires you to be outwardly curved. It just doesn't work. And so what we find is humanity that becomes separated from God. And, and, and scripture says being separated from God is death. Being engaged with God is life. Okay, and this resonates with us. Okay, actually, I'll, I'll let you guys go now. Let's give them a round of applause. And I'll keep one of these. Come on, we, on a very base level, we get this. Participation in community is life. Disconnection from community and isolation is death. Look, you think about the, the stories that cause us the most pain. There's the stories where there's a community of persons and then there's someone not engaged. They're by themselves. They're isolated. They're by themselves. Those, are, those stories are always heartbreaking versus stories that bring us the most joy. Come on, I mean, you think about, I think about the latest Microsoft commercial. I mean, you've seen the latest Microsoft commercial and it's this community of children in a neighborhood and there's this one kid, he's really fired up about what another kid is doing and he's running around the neighborhood and he's like gathering people to come, come to him and he says, yeah, you got to come see this, right? And he rallies the whole community and they go to this kid's house and he's like playing a video game and... It's kind of amazing because all these children are just creating their community. They're all engaged meaningfully. But here's what's most powerful about that. The, ch the child who they are celebrating, the friend, the community member who they're celebrating is, uh, is a student who actually is living with some pretty severe disabilities, okay, that affects his ability to communicate, his ability to walk, he's in a wheelchair. He's using a special tool to be able to play the video game. And actually tears come to my eyes every time I see that because typically the story is that's the kid who's marginalized, that's the child who finds himself on the outskirts of community, isolated. Okay, I'll close with this. Ultimately, we want to connect what love is to who God is to why I'm alive. But it requires us to think about maybe what the most central claim of Christianity is. And it's, it's this. That Jesus Christ was different from every other human. He had a nature that was unlike every other human. That where mankind struggles with an inwardly curved disposition that actually creates problems for us when it comes to community. Jesus was not born of flesh, but Jesus was born of spirit. It's actually kind of fascinating to think about what that means in terms of the story that is hard to believe, but it hasn't been explained away. That his, that his conception was miraculous. That he was born of a virgin. And what that means to 
the reality of him being born with a disposition that matches the nature of God's. And then the claim continues that Jesus Christ not only was born unlike every other human um, who we struggle with the inward disposition it breaks our relationships. Jesus Christ was born with the God nature, right? And he lived with it. And at no point in his life, though he was tempted, though he was brutalized, though he was all kinds of things, did he say, no, I'm actually gonna be about me. Many think about Jesus, he was hungry. He was thirsty. Am I gonna fend for myself? No, I'm gonna stay outwardly. He, he was brutalized, he was spit on. Come on, look. While, while my nature might be inwardly curved, man, I could kind of bend it outward and engage you. But if you hurt me, boom, I'm right back. I snap back into position. I'm looking out for me. Not so with Jesus. He lived life perfectly outwardly curved, engaged with the community of God. He lived the life that, this is the claim, he lived how none of us could live. And then he died and he was resurrected and he did, he did the most amazing thing. More amazing than just catching that without even looking at it. He offered his nature to us. And he says, actually, you won't believe this, but I have the power to transform your nature. And I can, I can take your old heart, the inwardly curved one, the one that causes you to be separated from God and experience death. I can replace it with mine and enable you to rejoin the community of God and experience why you are meant to be alive. Jesus extended himself for the spiritual growth of the world. It makes sense when the apostle John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it makes sense when the Apostle Paul says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still struggling with our inwardly curved disposition, Christ died for us. I want to be able to navigate 2019 well. I want to have fixed points of reference that I can use to ensure direction. So here's just three questions you might consider asking yourself throughout the course of this year. One, am I ready to consider that I may in fact um, be living with an inwardly curved disposition that separates me from God? And am I missing out on, an ex on experiencing the reason why I'm alive because of it? Number two, Am I bringing an inwardly curved disposition before God daily, depending upon him each day to enable me to live as I was meant to live, outwardly curved toward him and others? I think of the scripture that Jesus said, look, if anyone's gonna follow me, if anyone's gonna come after me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me daily. And I think about, you know, the tracks. It's a daily thing to set aside my inwardly curved disposition and follow after God. Question number three, how am, how am I extending myself for the spiritual growth of another? The scripture also says this, we love because he first loved us. We're able to extend ourselves for others because he first extended himself for us. 
So when we close, um, I just want to let you know that we do have a prayer wall over here. And if, if any of those questions resonated and you just want to spend time with somebody to maybe walk through a prayer about that, please make sure you um, head over there. Um, but in terms of closing up the, uh, the, the message, I just want to end simply with the prayer that we started with. And it was Paul's prayer to the Philippians. The prayer that he says contains the secret for navigating the wilderness well. Pray with me. Lord, may our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best. Amen.